Well, our text this evening is actually not Proverbs chapter 2 uh, for the ministry of the Word. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and so if that's my fault, I apologize. But we're returning to the exposition of 1 Corinthians this evening, and I'm going to read verses 14, 15, and 16. 1 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 14. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised or spiritually examined. But he who is spiritual appraises, examines all things. Yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's once again ask God's blessing upon his holy word. Our Father, we are so thankful that we have in, in our possession the word of God. You have been pleased to preserve it. You have been pleased to grant that we in our country have our own copy of the Holy Scriptures, which we can consult at any time. And therein is the word of life. There is the word of truth. And we ask our God that as you have promised to give your Holy Spirit to your believing people as the, uh, as the benefit of the new covenant, so now you would once again, as you have so often done, draw near to us, and open our eyes and our understanding that we may understand your truth and that we may know how to direct our lives for your glory and honor. So please bless our consideration of the word of God this evening. We ask through Jesus' name and merits. Amen. Yeah. Well, for a number of Lord's Days in the past couple of months, we have been working through 1 Corinthians. We have been through all the way up through the last couple of verses of chapter 2. And uh, we have been preoccupied with Paul's teaching about spiritual wisdom. The, uh, the, the scripture reading really does match here very well because there Paul, uh, the um, I'm sorry, uh, Solomon tells us how we obtain spiritual wisdom. And Paul is speaking about our possession of spiritual wisdom. Paul makes it plain that the wisdom he taught would, uh, should not be confused with the wisdom of the world. That's verses 6 through 9. We speak wisdom, Paul says, but it's not the wisdom of the world. So Paul tells us that his wisdom that he communicates by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit should not be confused with the wisdom of the world. Men of the world have their own share of wisdom have things that they know. Many of them are smarter than us, more accomplished than us, but they don't have spiritual wisdom. Paul says, don't, don't, don't make the mistake of thinking that unconverted man has spiritual wisdom. And this again is clear when you consider the purpose of worldly wisdom in our day. The, the purpose of worldly wisdom, the purpose of men, be they ever so humble on the outside, Yet their whole purpose in speaking wisdom is to uh, draw the admiration of men and to accumulate for themselves those things that they value to fulfill their selfish lusts. That's, that's the way the world is about wisdom. And um, Paul tells us that pure human wisdom uh, Purely human effort, I'm sorry, is the way to obtain the world's wisdom. It's clear in the way it is obtained. Purely human effort is the way to obtain it. And Paul, by way of contrast, has been emphasizing that the possession of worldly wisdom, uh, I'm sorry, Paul has been emphasizing that the possession of spiritual wisdom is the sovereign work of the Spirit of God. That's verses 10 through 16. Uh, God has revealed his spiritual wisdom by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and particularly to 
the apostles and New Testament prophets. That's verses 10 through 16. Now, unconverted men, according to verse 14, which we considered some time ago, uh, that, that particular verse, uh, he tells us that unconverted men do not and cannot accept this wisdom or any spiritual reality for that matter. Paul tells us that they, they do not and they cannot accept spiritual wisdom. They, they have a native inability as well as a basic attitude that rules out them receiving spiritual wisdom. This is one of the things that Paul tells us. In fact, uh, there are two general but important facts about unconverted men that Paul makes here. He tells us that the unconverted man, the natural man, the man who has no more grace than he was bought, uh, that he was born with, um, that man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Even though it is the highest wisdom that can be attained, yet they do not accept the things of the Spirit of God. That's a fact. Secondly, Paul tells us that they are incapable of accepting these things. The natural man, the unconverted man, he might be very religious, he might come into your church, he might like your worship, but he has this inability to accept the things of the Spirit of God. I thought of an illustration this afternoon as I was reviewing my notes. Imagine that I had a very, very large fish tank. I once had a pretty good fish tank, but I'm thinking of an even bigger fish tank. If you go to one of the aquariums, the New York Aquarium, they have these fish tanks that have many, many gallons. They're huge fish tanks. Imagine I was able to get one of those installed in my home. And I had a little turtle. Uh, actually, uh, June and I had a, a little quarter-sized turtle that we caught one time when we were fishing, scooped it up with a net, and we put it in our fish tank. But now I'm envisioning a gigantic fish tank. The, the, the turtle would never be able to uh, cross it in a very long journey uh, from a fish, from a, a, a turtle's standpoint. And imagine that I took a piece, some food, some, some fish food, and I put it in a in a far away spot in this gigantic fish tank. So the turtle's way over here and the food is way over there. And I want the turtle to find it. So I might put a little loudspeaker nearby and I might tell him, start telling the turtle, well, you need, the food's way over here and you need to go. You need to go past the miniature diver and you need to go past the shipwreck. And on the other side, you're gonna find the food. Well, there's a problem. Turtles don't speak English. In fact, I don't know what language turtles would speak if they if they had a voice. So what I do is I write it out for him. Surely this is the better way to do it. I make a big sign. I put big letters so he's sure to see it. And I put the instructions, go past the miniature diver, go past the shipwreck, and on the other side of the food that you want. Problem again. Though I paste it up on there, I turn the letters so that he can see them clearly. He's in, unable, the, the turtle is unable to follow the instructions. He's unable to understand the instructions, you see. He, he may find the food by accident, but it's not because he followed my instructions. Well, in one sense, the unconverted man is like the turtle who can't understand English, who can't read English, who cannot follow the directions. He doesn't have the ability, the natural man may be very smart, very smart. He may be able to do all kinds of things. You might say, well, he's smarter than me. He understands biochemistry. He understands uh, astrophysics, but he doesn't understand the things of the Spirit of God. And Paul tells us that he is unable to do, to do so. He doesn't possess the ability. He is in that situation. Now, in contrast to that, that's the contrast which Paul is setting up now at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He has, he's told us in verse 14 that the natural man, the unconverted man, cannot accept the things of the Spirit of God. But now Paul contrasts this in verses 15 and 16 with the spiritual man. Notice what he says again. 
but he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. I might as well say it at this point, there's a, there's a difficulty in the translation here. There are three times when the Apostle Paul uses the, the, the word that he introduces at the end of verse 14, spiritually appraised. Uh, when a, when a um, For example, when someone appraises your house, he makes an examination of it to determine what its real worth is. That's, that's the word which is being used here. It's the word to examine and evaluate. And he says this about what the natural man can't do because spiritual matters are spiritually examined and evaluated. And the man who is spiritual, he is appraised. He appraises, he examines properly all things, but him, as far as others looking at him and evaluating him, examining him, they cannot do that. He himself is appraised, evaluated, examined by no one. So here's Paul in verses 15 and 16, speaking about the spiritual man and his relationship to spiritual wisdom. So let me, uh, let me before we go too far, also talk about uh, how we understand these two verses. Paul is writing about the spiritual man. Who is the spiritual man? Well, the spiritual man is a true Christian and in some degree mature. So Paul is writing especially about the converted man, but the converted man who is to some degree mature. I know that all believers are spiritual people. Every converted person has the Spirit of God. Paul makes that very plain in, say, Romans chapter 8, that those who are, who are uh, saved by the Lord Jesus Christ possess the Spirit of God. Understood. Uh, and in that sense, all Christians are spiritual. Each and every one is indwelt by the Spirit. However, not all true believers are spiritually developed to the same degree. And I take that kind of as a given. We know that all Christians don't have the same degree of spiritual maturity and understanding of the things of God. Not all have the same measure of wisdom. There are Christians who are spiritual babies and others who are, hmm, how can I say it, who are not as developed as they ought to be. They are not as far along as they ought to be. Look for a second at Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, because here is where uh, the inspired writer tells us about some of these believers to whom he's writing. And he makes it very clear that he believes that they're genuine believers. And this is what he says, starting in verse 11. He's speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest. And he says, Hebrews 5.11, Concerning him we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. That can happen to believers they can become dull of hearing. He says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. Why can't they eat solid food? Why do they need milk? Well, he says, everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So again, here are people who ought to be much further along. He says, by this time you ought to be teachers yourselves, but you have become atrophied spiritually backward so that you can only take milk and not solid food. So here's my, here's my premise. All Christians are not the same, have not experienced the same spiritual development and maturity. And the person whom Paul is speaking about is someone who is spiritual and who has 
got a uh, developed appetite for the word of God. That's who he's talking about when he talks about the spiritual person at the end of 1 Corinthians 2. Once again, we need to understand that uh, there are statements in the Bible which can easily be misunderstood without qualification. There are absolute statements, statements that the Bible makes that um, can be misunderstood and they can actually lead to unhealthy, infectious doctrines. Um, look for a moment at 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. I'll make my point here from the statement of the Apostle Peter. not the right text. I apologize. That is not the right text. But I have to move on. Um, actually, what I, I, that may be 2 Peter. I've miswritten it in my notes. Let me see if 2 Peter is the text. I think it is. Okay. So, Peter is writing about people who twist the word of God. And he says in verse 15, Regard the patience of the Lord of salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, which, in which are some things hard to understand which the untaught and unstable distort, as they also do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. So there are things in the Bible that are hard to understand. And the immature, the untaught, it's dangerous for them to take them. It's dangerous to take absolute statements without proper qualification. And that's what we have to do when we read our Bible. We have to uh, understand the analogy of the faith, the overall teaching of the word of God, and we have to make the proper qualifications that the context demands of us if we're going to ingest the word of God in a healthy manner. Well, this again, what, what, the, right, what the apostle Paul says about the spiritual man is just this kind of a thing. He says he who is spiritual appraises all things, he examines all things, Yet he himself is uh, examined or appraised by no one. You see, if you take that in an unqualified sense, it seems to teach the idea that there is a Christian who doesn't, who cannot be judged by any other person at all. And that's not, that doesn't make good spiritual sense. It doesn't mean that there's no one else who can call him to account, that there's no one else who can correct him. Um, that's not, that would be absurd. If you take it in an unqualified sense, that's what the, the text seems to teach. And there are people who teach this kind of a doctrine, but it's not biblical doctrine. There aren't, there aren't Christians who are a law unto themselves and do not have accountability to other Christians. Well, I mention this again to underscore the point that we need to be careful about what appear to be absolute statements in the Word of God that need proper qualification, and this is one of them. So, what does verse 15a mean? We're going to take that first. The spiritual man has a developed faculty of discernment, which is universally effective. That's what, that's what Paul says. See how he puts it. He who is spiritual appraises all things, Yet he himself is appraised by no one. The first part of that is that he has a developed faculty of discernment, which is universally effective. Now again, Paul does not say that the spiritual man knows everything. That's certainly not Paul's teaching. We must not think 
that this Christian called the spiritual man uh, does not need to pray and meditate and search the scriptures. That's the responsibility of every Christian. No matter how advanced you are in Christ, you need to read the word of God and you need to meditate on the word of God and pray for wisdom and consult your, your brethren. That's what you need to do. And this is what the Apostle Paul said about himself when he wrote the, uh, the letter to the Philippians in Philippians 4, 12 to 15. Paul made it clear, as advanced as he was as a Christian man at this point, that he did not regard himself as self-sufficient, needing no one else and needing no more spiritual development. And that is... Philippians chapter 4, chapter 3. Sorry about that. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. Paul says, regarding the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, and he remains mature, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you, Paul represents himself as the kind of Christian who is always looking forward, always seeking to grow in his understanding and his obedience to the word of God. He has this attitude, and he says, all of you who are mature, all of you Christians who are mature, you need to keep living by the same principle, the same uh, attitude that you don't say, well, I've arrived. See, I've got, I, I know as much as there is to know about the Bible. I know as much as I need to know about God. I don't need to make any more advances. No, the Christian is always pressing forward to uh, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Paul says, that's my attitude. That ought to be your attitude as well. And this is the kind of thing he told Timothy. He told Timothy, let your progress be manifest to all. Be diligent to make yourself uh, to um, to be approved as a workman who needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So Paul urges Timothy, keep on pressing forward, keep on learning the truth, keep on increasing in your grace. So the Christian is not a man who is a, a kind of a uh, an answer man with all the answers to the questions. You might sometimes be tempted to think that about certain Christians. It, it's, it's not so. The Christian is not a kind of uh, answer man with all the questions in hand. The truly wise man is the one who generally takes time to think matters through. And uh, look, at, look at Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14. And verses 15 and 16. Here Paul says, The naive believes everything. Everything he thinks, he says, Well, I've got the truth, I've got the answers. The naive believes everything. But the sensible man, sensible man considers his steps. A wise man is cautious. And turns away from evil. He's considering his ways. He's considering the truth. He's turning away from evil. The fool is arrogant and careless. Solomon says elsewhere, teach a wise man and he will increase his learning. The wise man is not the man who says, well, I've got it all covered. I've got it all in my hip pocket. I've got the truth. He's the man who is pressing forward and seeking to understand more and more of the truth. The spiritual man that Paul is speaking about is able through spiritual investigation to come 
to a biblical understanding of those matters he needs to know. He has a spiritual faculty of understanding by the grace of God that he is able to investigate the word of God for what he needs to know and to do. And that's number one in verse 15, 1 Corinthians 2.15. The second thing is that the mature Christian is beyond the understanding and criticism of those who do not possess the Spirit of God. The mature Christian is beyond the understanding and criticism of those who do not possess the Spirit of God. The, the unconverted man is like the turtle in the tank. He doesn't have the ability to examine and to judge the true believer who has the Spirit of God. And this is what Paul means when he makes that absolute statement in verse 15b, yet he himself, the spiritual man, is appraised, that is examined and judged by no man. And here again, our principle of interpretation guides us and guards us. It's an absolute statement. We have to consider it in the context. Again, what does Paul not mean? He is not saying that the spiritual man is in need of no one. He's not a spiritually self-sufficient person. He's not so far developed that he can live independently. Uh, Paul really settles this question later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when he says that the hand cannot say to the foot, I have no need of you. So you don't, you shouldn't be, if I can put it this way, you shouldn't be looking at your brethren and say, you know, we can do without so-and-so. We can do without so-and-so. No, all the members of the body, Paul says, are necessary to the people of God. And that means that the spiritual man who has a accelerated faculty of spiritual judgment needs his brethren. Let me... Let me do something a little bit silly, but I hope it'll, it'll help us to understand the point. Imagine that you, whoever you are, whichever row you're sitting in, whichever seat, that you are the smartest person in the congregation. Imagine, imagine that for a moment. I know you're not, but imagine for a moment that you are... Um, You're never going to get beyond the, well, imagine that you are, and imagine that one of your brethren sees you doing something, something perhaps not the wisest thing, and they say, hey, do you realize that what you're doing is not bringing glory to God, is not really uh, for the edification of the congregation? Do you realize that? Uh, what would you say? Well, would you say, well, I don't, I don't, I don't need, I don't need someone telling me that I'm just too smart. You know, Reflexively, brethren, that that attitude is unfitting a Christian. It's one of the problems that happened with the apostles when they heard that Jesus was going to the cross. Jesus said, I'm going to return to the Father, and then the, uh, one of you is going to betray me. And they started trying to figure out, well, who might it be who's going to betray Jesus? And then they said, well, what we do, we're going to, we're going to use a process of elimination. We're going to decide, first of all, who's not going to betray Jesus. And how do they do this? Which one of us is the greatest one? Who is the greatest? If you figure out the greatest, you know pretty much that person's not going to uh, deliver Jesus up to be crucified. Oh, they made a big mistake. Because they got into that mindset of thinking, well, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Actually, the spiritually mature man is not thinking that way. Is he? He's not. He's never beyond the benefits of being a member of the Church of Christ because he knows that in the congregation every joint supplies something. So we do. We do need one another. Again, the spiritual man, as smart as he is, as wise as he is, is not beyond the need of instruction. He's not beyond sin. And he's not beyond the reproof of his brethren. But again, why is he the spiritual man? Why is Paul saying that he is not to be, he is not examined by 
others. Well, he's, he's especially thinking about the unconverted person. Paul's especially thinking about the unconverted person. He says the unconverted person cannot examine and judge the spiritual person. The spiritual man acts according to the principles of the fear of God, the principle of faith, and he brings every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And again, the unconverted person does not live according to those principles. And so he's unable to understand or judge the spiritual man. The unconverted in all their investigations and all their attempts at analysis will not be will not be able to understand spiritual truths and and what spiritual believers are all about. If you're a Christian, you have unconverted family, unconverted friends, unconverted co-workers, and they won't understand why it is that you live the way you do. They're going to be puzzled. They're going to be frustrated to some extent. Well, we want to uh, be sure that while we understand this principle, that the unconverted person is really doesn't have the faculty of judgment which can enable them to judge or appraise the spiritual man so we need to have um, we need to have that kind of grace that treats them with courtesy and uh, does what's right in the sight of all men so we don't bring offense so that's the first point I wanted to make about verse 15 that the spiritual man, the mature Christian, uh, has a developed faculty of discernment, which is universally effective. What he needs to know is in the scriptures, and he has the ability by grace to search the scriptures and to find what he needs to know, to speak to his brethren, his pastor, and get the kind of information that he needs from the word of God. The second thing, also in verse 15, is that the mature man, again, I have already stated this, the mature Christian is beyond the understanding and criticism of those who do not possess the Spirit of God. The uh, natural man is unable to evaluate the spiritual man. Now let me go down to verse 16 which provides the basis for the statements that these statements in verse 15, the spiritual, the basis of the statement in verse, statements in verse 15 is found in verse 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Paul provides an argument to support his statement that the spiritual man is not examined, as it were, by the person who is not spiritual, who is not converted. He gives a logical basis from verse 16. It says, Who has known the mind of the Lord? What, uh, that he will instruct him. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Paul's point is this, that this is not about a comparison of IQs. It's not about your IQ versus the unconverted man's IQ. It's not a question of who is smarter, who's smarter, this man or some unconverted person. Paul rises above that question. It's not even a question of who's smarter among the believers, who's, who's brighter, who's more perceptive among believers. Paul rises above this. Paul begins the logical basis by saying that God's thoughts, God's thoughts are beyond men's thoughts. He quotes Isaiah chapter 40, who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him. And this is the basis on which he says that the spiritual man cannot be evaluated by those who are not spiritual. He says what you need to ask is not the question how smart is the spiritual man? That's not, where the, that's not where the basis of this truth is found. Paul begins by saying that God's thoughts are far beyond man's thoughts. Who is the challenge? Who, who 
has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him. Who's going to tell God what is true and what to think and what to do? And he quotes from Isaiah chapter 40. So let's turn back to Isaiah chapter 40 and examine this appeal by Paul to the Old Testament as the basis of what he's saying in verse 15. Isaiah chapter 40. This is, a, by the way, Paul's statement in verse 16 is an abbreviated quote of Isaiah 40, verse 12. But we're going to back up for a moment to verse... Uh, it's a, an abbreviated quote of verse 13. We're going to back up to verse 12. Okay. And notice how Paul does this, what Paul says. I'm sorry, Isaiah says that Paul is referring to. He asks this a series of questions. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? and marked off the heavens by the span, and calculated the dust of the earth by measure, and weighed the mountains in a balance, and the hills in a pair of scales. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord, or who, as his counselor, has informed him? With whom did he consult, and who gave him understanding, and who taught him in the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and informed him of the way of understanding? Paul begins, I'm sorry, Isaiah begins, and God speaking through Isaiah, to ask these challenging questions. The answer to all of these challenging questions is God himself. Who has measured out the waters in the hollow of his hand? I, I had a boss. We would talk about things that needed to be done, things that were difficult, and he would say, well, we can't, we can't empty the ocean with a teacup. That's not what we can do. It's going to take too long. So we have to have modest, uh, modest aims in what we are endeavoring to do as a company. Well, here Paul says, uh, sorry, Isaiah says, God, through Isaiah, he, he throws out the question, who has taken the waters? You go down here to the Atlantic Ocean, you go down here to one of the local beaches, and you come with the hollow of your hand, and you try to measure the ocean. And of course, it's ridiculous to even think about trying. But God can and God has. God is a being of infinite ability and wisdom. And God indeed has measured the earth. He is able to measure all of the waters of the earth by his infinite abilities who has marked off the heavens by the span. Now the span, you may know, the distance between the thumb and the pinky in, on average. And uh, if I wanted to measure my Bible or the pulpit area, I could take my hand and go through, well, it's about three, three uh, hand breaths this way and about four hand breaths this way. So there, I've measured the surface of the, of the pulpit and Paul says, okay, now you do that, that's easy, but how about measuring the heavens? Well, if you, even if you're just measuring what you can see, there's so much out there. It's so big, it's so spread. Who can do that? Well, the answer is, God can, you can't, right? Who has uh, marked off the heavens by the span? Who has calculated the dust of the earth by measure? Well, sometimes I feel like I can't even measure the dust of my house by measure, but God can measure the dust of all the earth by measure. He can weigh the mountains in a balance, the, the hills in a pair of scales, because God has infinite reach and resource. You and I, <coughs> you and I cannot. And that's the point of verse 12. From his works, you see, then God goes on, moves on to say, well, look, if you can't figure out how God has measured the heavens and the dust and the oceans and the sky, how in the world could you direct God? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Who is his counselor? 
has informed him? With whom did he consult? Who gave him understanding? Who taught him? Who informed him? Well, the answer is no one. No man. No man does it. No man can do it. The scale of God's thoughts and God's ways are immeasurably above man's thoughts. So Paul uses this question to establish the point, his point, since the answer is obvious, is no one who is able to speak to God and to judge God. That was, by the way, the final error of Job when he began to ask the questions, why do you do the things you do? Then God not only comes with these kinds of questions in Isaiah 40, but he comes with many more and challenges Job, where were you? Where were you when I made this? Do you know where the snow comes from? Do you know where this, that, the other thing comes from? That's what God says. Just this kind of a thing. And again, Paul is trying to establish the point. Where is the person who knows so much that he is smarter than God? He must understand God. He must understand everything that God does. Only then could he examine God and judge God. Well, the thought is, of course, blasphemous. And God, again, tells man, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways. My ways, declares the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. It is beyond mere human ability to reach God's infinite omniscience. The God who knows everything without investigation, who is able to perform all of his great works, there's no one who is fit to judge God. Well, that's what, that's what Paul appeals to when he is saying in verse 16 of chapter 2, 1 Corinthians 2.16, who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? And here's Paul's point. We have the mind of Christ. Believers, the spiritual believers, again, the spiritual man who is living up to his light, who is listening to God, learning God's word, he has the mind of Christ. And so Paul is actually got a Trinitarian focus here. God gives the believer the truth. The Holy Spirit communicates the truth. And when the Holy Spirit communicates his truth to his people through his word, we have the mind of Christ. So that's why an unconverted person does not have the ability to examine and judge the believer. He doesn't have the ability. And even if he had all the abilities that we have, a proper humility toward God would rule out him even, even trying. Even trying. That's, that's, it's not within the realm of possibility at all. We are beyond the understanding and criticism of natural unconverted men. Now that might seem to you a proud thing to say. It's not proud of proud in us. It is a conviction of what God has done for the believer in Christ by his spirit. So the spiritual man, the, nat the mature Christian has a developed faculty of discernment which is universally acceptable. That ex, uh, I'm sorry, effective. That's verse 15a. And the mature Christian is beyond the understanding and criticism of those who don't possess God's spirit. That's 15b. And the basis of these statements is God himself, his mind and his wisdom. But what do we do with these things? What do we, how do we apply these things to our lives? Number one, take care not to consider too seriously the objections of those who do not have a living experience of spiritual realities. Take care not to consider too seriously the objection of those who do not have a living experience of spiritual realities. Unconverted people are going to have a lot of questions. You're going to have a lot of questions, a lot of objections to the Christian faith. You're going to have questions about the resurrection of the dead. You, you see some of the questions which Paul often raises. They're the kinds of things that either immature or unconverted people raise. 
What is the resurrection of the dead like? What is the resurrection of the body? With what kind of body do, do they come? Paul says, you, you fool. You plant seeds, don't you? And the body that you plant is not the body that comes up. So is the resurrection of the dead. Unconverted people will have many questions. They will not be able to understand. They will not be able to uh, understand the answers by their own unaided wisdom. Don't take them too seriously. I, um, some of you know that I'm teaching a course at Trinity Christian School on Bible doctrines. And one of the things that I, I did in preparation was to go to a, a, a website uh, written by an unconverted person, an, a, a, uh, I can only say an enemy of biblical truth. And they had a big list of questions about God and about Christ and about religion and all the reasons that they think that Christians are fools. Well, as I went through the, as I went through the website and just looked at the topics that they touched, this, these verses came to me, and I'm glad that I was studying them because it convinced me. I said, well, why do these people have all these problems? All these questions. Why? Because they don't have any faculty of spiritual discernment. They don't. They may be very smart people, but they don't. They don't have any faculty of spiritual judgment. They can't understand the things of the Spirit of God. Now, we have a responsibility. Peter tells us that we should sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account of the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Again, if you realize what you're dealing with, you're, you're dealing with people who don't have any spiritual discernment. They may be smart, but in terms of spiritual realities, at best they are in kindergarten. Learning ABCs. They don't understand the things of the Spirit of God. So, what does that mean? You go to that website and you start reading and maybe your first reaction would be my first reaction. Wow, these are a lot of problems that this guy is talking about. I'm not sure I can answer them all. Hmm. Well, I think I can. But at the bottom of it all is the fact that they don't have the ability. They're the turtle in the tank trying to understand human handwriting. This is God's wisdom they're speaking about and they have no ability. No ability. To understand truly what the issues are. And that's one of the reasons why um, Peter says that we should speak with gentleness and reverence. A similar passage that Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, where he tells them that uh, when you have these kinds of people in your congregation, answer them patiently and gently, not argumentatively, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. So this, dear brethren, is that my number one takeaway. We should never be overcome by the arguments, the cavils uh, is the right word, uh, of unconverted people because they have no ability of spiritual discernment in which to determine those things. And really we we, we should feel sorry for them and pray that God will open their eyes. But realize there's a gap between their doubts and the truth, a, a, a gap they can't overcome without the grace of God. Second thing, by way of application from this passage, I would urge you, you are a Christian here, to strive for maturity which will result in great blessing for yourself and your brethren, and which will bring glory to God. Paul says that God has given us his wisdom for our glory. Okay, he makes that statement. These are the things which are freely given, verse 12, freely given to us by God. They are things which God has uh, set aside for the glory of his people. So it is our wisdom and our duty to pursue God's gracious wisdom. 
and to be diligent in every effort to obtain the truth. Spiritual wisdom will not be attained by laziness. It must be dug. That's what that's what Proverbs chapter 2, that theme in Proverbs 2. Seek her as silver. Search for her as for hidden treasures. We should uh, seek maturity, seek maturity of judgment from God with prayer and with diligence. And it is a great blessing which will be your benefit and the benefit of the people of God. So that's the second thing I would say by way of application. Uh, again, be cautious about merely attaining head knowledge. You want spiritual knowledge, which leads to practice and obedience. And be cautious against pride. Pride is one of those things that cuts the nerve of spiritual discernment. So we need to pursue spiritual maturity with humility and dependence upon God. And if, unbeknownst to me, there is anyone who does not uh, have the spiritual faculty of, of, uh, of, of spiritual discernment, um, you need to seek that by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. That's where it comes from. We go to God, we confess our sins to him, our native dullness and ignorance, and ask him to reveal his truth to us through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Amen. Our Father, this evening we thank you again for the word of God and for these glorious truths which you have made known to us through the pen of your servant Paul. We pray, Lord, that you would give us that humility of mind that honestly seeks truth from your hand. Help us to see our own limitations, our own weaknesses, and grant, Lord, that we may be the diligent pursuers of the truth from the Holy Spirit and the Holy Scriptures by the grace of our Savior. Thank you again for your word this evening. Continue to bless it as we reflect upon it throughout the week. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.